Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Voices for Justice is a podcast that uses adult language and discusses sensitive and potentially triggering topics, including violence, abuse, and murder. This podcast may not be appropriate for younger audiences. All parties are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Some names have been changed or omitted per their request or for safety purposes. Listener discretion is advised. My name is Sarah Turney, and this is Voices for Justice. Today, I am discussing the case of Sage Smith. Sage was only 19 years old when she went missing from Charlottesville, Virginia in 2012. She had plans to meet up with a man that night. But when police tried to question this man, he fled the area. Sage and this man remain missing to this day. Before we dig in, I need to lay some groundwork for this episode. Sage is a trans woman. Shortly before she went missing, she changed her gender on Facebook and commented, quote, I'm a girl now. Respect it. This is important to note not only because her family believes that Sage being a black trans woman has greatly impacted her case but also just for clarity's sake. Sage made this announcement just a few weeks before she went missing. So many of her family members still refer to her as he, or Deshad, which is the name that she was given at birth. So just know Deshad and Sage are the same person. Because Sage made these public comments before she went missing, I will use the pronouns she and her. I will also refer to her as Sage. I think it's also important to note here that Sage's family and friends have basically said that she didn't care which name or pronouns people used for her. They've also made several public statements expressing their frustration around how they feel this debate is really distracting from the facts of the case. So although I and her family believe that Sage being trans absolutely affected her case, I just don't want to get too hung up here. I also want to state that I am absolutely not an authority on the LGBTQ community. If I get something wrong, please know I mean no offense. I'm most likely just ignorant on the subject. So if I do make a mistake, please let me know so I can learn and apply it to cases moving forward. You can find my contact information at voicesforjusticepodcast.com. All of that being said, let's get into it. This is the case of Sage Smith. Sage Smith was born on December 13, 1992, to her parents Latasha and Dean. Sage didn't have an easy upbringing. She spent some time in the foster care system and was primarily raised by her grandmother, Lolita Smith, who was affectionately known as Miss Cookie. 
Unfortunately, I wasn't able to find a lot of statements from Sage's friends and family about what she was like when she was younger. But most say that Sage was extremely outgoing. She was also very sociable and always wanted to make people feel included. One of her favorite activities was dancing. And she even created a few YouTube videos with her friends of them dancing. According to a 2017 Splinter News article, Sage grew up with Miss Cookie in Charlottesville, Virginia. For a good amount of Sage's life, she lived in an apartment complex that was called Garrett Square at the time. Miss Cookie was actually on the Tenants Association Board and Resident Patrol, so she was well known in the community. But when Sage was 12, they moved into a house in the Fifeville neighborhood. This is where Sage met her friend Shakira Washington who she would later live with as an adult. Shakira told Splinter News that she and Sage initially got into this big fight when they first met, but after that, they were together every day. Eventually, Sage came out to her family that she was gay. According to her family, they accepted her with open arms. Miss Cookie was the first person she told. And Miss Cookie just told Sage that she wasn't telling her anything she didn't know already. Although her family was very accepting, it appears that the neighborhood kids weren't, and she did experience some bullying, unfortunately. Skipping ahead a few years to March of 2012, the future looked really bright for Sage. She was the first person in her family to graduate from high school, and she was enrolled in cosmetology classes, with plans to become a professional hairdresser. It was around this time that she got her own apartment. This was with the assistance of the foster care system. She also invited her childhood friend Shakira Washington, as well as her friend Aubrey Carson, to move in with her. Sage worked really hard to make ends meet. She was sweeping hair at a salon, and she was braiding hair on the side in her apartment. Just a few weeks before Sage went missing in the fall of 2012, she announced on Facebook that she identified as a woman. Like I mentioned, she changed her gender on her profile and commented, I'm a girl now, respect it. Although Sage's father initially had a pretty hard time understanding that Sage was gay and trans, he eventually came around and reconciled with Sage. Dean told Splinter News that he actually watched a Lifetime movie called Prayers for Bobby that really helped him, stating, quote, Dude was like that and his family dropped him. I just felt I couldn't do that to my child. When she walked by on the street and I was in the barbershop with my boys, I would say, come here, I want you to meet my child. In the Discovery Plus episode of Disappeared About Sage, Dean admits that he said a lot of hurtful things to her during that time, and he regrets it. Dean also makes a point to encourage other parents to be accepting of their children should they decide to come out. This brings us to November 2012. Sage is 19, living in Charlottesville with two roommates. Like a lot of young people do, when Sage wasn't working, she enjoyed experiencing some of the nightlife the city had to offer but they also had their fair share of parties at the apartment, including one the night before Sage goes missing. On November 19th, 2012, they were all celebrating Shakira's 19th birthday, and then a fight broke out. Sage ends up fighting with a man named Jameel Smith. No relation to Sage, by the way. The cops do end up getting called, and Jameel filed a police report stating that Sage damaged his car. Later that night, Jameel Smith tweets, quote, been disrespected to the point of no return. On the next day, now Tuesday, November 20th, 2012, Sage gets ready to go on a date. And at about 5.40 p.m., she wakes up her napping roommate, Aubrey, to tell her that she's going out, but that she'll be back that night. 
It's important to note that Sage's other roommate, Shakira, was out of town that night. But according to Aubrey, she sleeps through the entire night and the next morning she's shocked that Sage still isn't home. When she calls Sage, it goes right to voicemail. Now, this wasn't like Sage. Miss Cookie says that she was basically glued to her cell phone at all times and took her charger with her everywhere. So Sage's phone possibly being dead didn't seem like a likely scenario. Aubrey begins calling Sage's friends and family and discovers that Sage's stepsister, Kiara, actually saw Sage the night before. This was around 6.30 p.m. Kiara says that she was walking to the bus stop and she saw Sage on the street. Sage was on a phone call at this time. She could hear someone asking where Sage was at. Sage responded saying that she would be there in five minutes, but she never mentions to Kiara who she's talking to. Aubrey then calls Miss Cookie, saying that she really doesn't know what to do, and Miss Cookie tells Aubrey that she needs to call the police and tell them what she knows. This episode of Voices for Justice is brought to you by Quince. The weather is getting warmer, which means it's time to put away all the sweaters and pants and say hello to shorts and t-shirts. I absolutely was looking to update my wardrobe without spending a fortune, and I went right back to Quince for that. I personally don't love trendy clothes that I have to replace every few months. I am looking to build my solid core collection of essentials. And with the huge selection at Quince, I can do that. They have premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from 30 bucks, washable silk tops, they have jewelry, and so much more. One thing I really love about Quince too is that they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. And they only use premium fabrics and finishes, so you're not cutting any corners when it comes to quality. I've really been trying to play with pairing casual with more upscale pieces. So recently I just matched a silk skirt with this black tee that I just love and fits really, really well. I think it came together pretty cute. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com justice for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e dot justice to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com justice. The official investigation into the disappearance of Sage Smith began on Thursday, November 22nd, Thanksgiving Day. Lieutenant Jim Mooney says that they were very concerned about foul play immediately. Not only because Sage wasn't contacting anyone, but because of her gender identity and sexual orientation. Mooney admits that they had very little experience working cases where someone may have been targeted for these reasons, but that he was aware that it could be a factor in why Sage was gone. So a lot happens in these first few days of the investigation. There's also a lot of conflicting information about Sage's case online. On the Facebook page Searching for Sage Smith that is run at least in part by Sage's family, they preface a lot of the media coverage they share stating, quote, Most articles, podcasts, news reports, and TV shows that feature Sage have a mixture of truth, unsubstantiated rumors, and falsehoods. Please keep that in mind. However, when discussing the episode of Disappeared that Sage was featured on in 2018, they write, quote, Like most shows or articles about Sage's disappearance, there are some inaccuracies, but this show is one of the most accurate and well-produced ones we have seen. As someone who has seen and heard my family member's story told countless times, I can tell you that not a single rendition of my sister's story has been 
100% accurate. So when I see a statement like this, I take it seriously. And because of this statement, I will be pulling a lot of case details from Sage's episode of Disappeared. After Sage is reported missing, the Charlottesville PD do a grid search of the area that she was last seen in, and they do try to pull surveillance from surrounding businesses, but they come up with nothing. It is important to note that while the Charlottesville PD was working on the case, Sage's family was trying to find answers as well. Sage's father, Dean, in particular, admits that he had very little faith in the police, and many members of Sage's family have stated that they feel her case just wasn't made a priority from the start. So while the police wait for Sage's cell phone records to come back so that they can figure out who she was meeting with that night, Sage's family does some investigating as well. Now, they didn't have Sage's cell phone. That was with her on the night that she went missing but they were able to guess her password and access her cell phone records online. They discovered that the person that Sage was supposed to meet with that night had an out-of-state area code. They try calling this number repeatedly, but there's no answer. So Sage's father Dean posts the number to Facebook, asking if any of Sage's friends might know who the number belonged to. And he gets a hit. Within a few hours, a friend of Sage's named Yami Ortiz reaches out to Dean and says she knows who the number belongs to. It belongs to a man that Sage was dating named Eric McFadden. Yami adds that Eric wasn't exactly out of the closet. In fact, he had a girlfriend who had no idea he was gay. This revelation obviously immediately raises red flags for Dean, and just makes him even more desperate for answers. So Dean gets a picture of Eric from Yami and posts that to Facebook too, asking if anyone knows who this man is or where he is now. The thing is, Dean doesn't tell the police this. And I have to say, I get it. He didn't want them to stop what he was doing, which at this point was giving him and his family a lot more answers than the police while they waited for those cell phone records. I'm not saying it was the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. I'm just saying I understand it. And I think most people with a missing family member would understand it as well. When your loved one is missing and you're waiting for information from the police, every minute can feel like a lifetime. In this case, Sage had only been missing for a very short period of time. These are the most crucial hours in a missing person's case. So before you judge Dean or this family, think long and hard about what you would do if your child was missing. Would you sit and wait for police? Or would you try to find them yourself? I honestly think it's a personal decision. Ultimately, Lieutenant Mooney would say that this move hurt Sage's case. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Two days later, on November 24th, the police make the connection between Sage and Eric McFadden. This is when a woman named Esther calls for a welfare check on Eric. Esther is Eric's girlfriend. They live together. She's out of town for Thanksgiving and hasn't been able to get a hold of him. When the police go to perform the welfare check, no one is at the residence. That same day, Yami Ortiz goes to the police station to discuss the link between Sage and Eric McFadden. Yami tells the police everything she told Sage's father. But now they also learn about these Facebook posts from Dean. And just like Dean did, the police decide to go public with this information. They publicly post Eric's picture and call him a person of interest. They did press releases and put out posters with both Sage and Eric's pictures all around town. 
After this revelation, the police ask Esther if they can search her home, and she consents to the search. According to the police, this was a pretty thorough search. They looked for fingerprints, DNA, and evidence of blood. They also took Eric's computer and found a CVS receipt that helped them better track Eric's movements. It appears that Eric was still at his home as recently as about 6 p.m. on November 22nd, just two days after Sage went missing. I wasn't able to find what he purchased, so I can't say if it's relevant to the case or not. This receipt makes police unsure if Eric is involved in Sage's disappearance, since he apparently didn't leave immediately after she went missing, but instead on the day that Sage's father Dean posted his number, name, and photo on Facebook. The police contemplate whether Eric McFadden left town because he really was involved, or because he was afraid that his friends, family, and girlfriend Esther would become aware of the sexual relationship he had with Sage. At this point, the police are still trying to develop a concrete timeline of Sage and Eric's movement, so stick with me, it is coming. When the police begin speaking with Sage's friends and family, it becomes clear that almost no one knew about this relationship she had with Eric McFadden. Her roommate Aubrey did tell police that she'd met Eric once, but it was very brief. Then, the police get a call from Eric. It's now Tuesday, November 27th, and Eric's in New York City. When they ask what he's doing there, he says, oh, it's just somewhere I've always wanted to go. There's really no further explanation than that. He also confirms that yes, he had a sexual relationship with Sage. And they were supposed to meet on the night of November 20th, but Sage never showed up. During this phone call, Eric and the police make arrangements to speak in person. But Eric never comes back to speak with police. By Friday, the police get a completely different version of events when Esther walks into the police station with an email she'd received from Eric. Eric tells Esther that he actually did meet with Sage that night. He says that they were walking, and all of a sudden a group of people that Eric didn't know showed up. He didn't really go into detail, only saying that Sage had many enemies, and that Eric left Sage with this group of people. Eric also tells Esther that Sage had been blackmailing him, threatening to tell Esther and the world about their relationship. Eric McFadden would allegedly make a few Yahoo email accounts to contact Esther over time, but eventually all accounts would go quiet. So now Eric McFadden is long gone and Sage is still missing. This brings me back to the topic of the police blaming Dean Smith for Eric McFadden fleeing the state. In an interview with Splinter News, Lieutenant Mooney stated, quote, That really set us back a long way. If we'd had a chance to find him without his picture being out there, we might be talking to him instead of looking for him. There's something about this that just didn't sit well with me. Sure, we can argue all day whether or not those Facebook posts scared Eric McFadden. Personally, I'm sure they did to a certain extent. However, let's not forget that after the connection between Eric McFadden and Sage Smith was made, the police immediately publicly named him a person of interest, and also put his picture out there. Eric McFadden willingly spoke with police after both the Facebook post and the police efforts to find him. So I'm just not sure that the statement about the post setting them back is really fair. The police had him on the phone, made plans to meet up with him, and he didn't show. 
I personally think whatever happened in that phone call spooked Eric McFadden. But as always, I could be wrong. It's just a really big statement to make. And it's a statement that I'm sure Dean thinks about all the time. From here, the police gather as much information on Eric as possible. They obtain warrants for his social media, cell phone, and bank records. But they don't find anything helpful. So the police turn to Sage's social media and email accounts. They find that Sage was communicating with several men who wanted to keep their relationship a secret. They also discover that just a few months before Sage went missing, she was assaulted by a man who believed Sage outed him to his wife. This man did face charges after this assault, but he was incarcerated when Sage went missing, so he was never considered a person of interest. However, this of course opened the police up to the idea that maybe Sage was harmed because of something similar. On December 2nd, there's activity on Sage's credit card. The police are thinking this is finally their big break. Sage is alive and well somewhere. But when they check the surveillance footage, they find that it wasn't Sage using the card. It was her roommate, Aubrey Carson. This episode of Voices for Justice is brought to you by June's Journey. I'm pretty sure everyone here loves a good mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. You get to step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. You engage your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. So what does that mean? Well, June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game. Essentially, you find hidden clues and uncover this mystery. But it's also more than that. You can customize your own luxurious estate island, you can join a detective club, and put your skills to the test in a detective league. I like that you can play totally alone, or if you want to play with other people, you can do that too. I find myself playing June's Journey in little breaks during the day, or most frequently at night before I go to bed. Whether you're craving a good mystery or just looking for an escape, I really do recommend June's Journey. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This episode of Voices for Justice is sponsored by ZocDoc. If you guys have been following my journey on social media, you know that I am in my Sarah era. After everything I've been through over the last couple years, I'm really just focusing on myself and doing that unapologetically. So I have become that one friend in my friend group that loves to treat myself. A lot of the time that looks like a long bath, a face mask, maybe a special foot soak, but I also knew that I needed to make my health a priority. And that's where ZocDoc comes in. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. What I really liked is that all the doctors have verified reviews from actual real patients. You don't have to just guess if they're good. ZocDoc is how I found my new doctor. Go to ZocDoc.com justice and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc.com justice. ZocDoc.com justice. When the police question Aubrey, she says that that's just how close they were. They always use each other's things. For this particular transaction, she used the credit card to buy food. Sage's family believes that this indicates that Aubrey knew Sage wasn't coming back. 
because there's nothing really to tie Aubrey to Sage's case, they can't make an arrest or call her a person of interest at this time. In February 2013, we get another eyewitness statement that adds to the timeline of the night that Sage went missing. A woman named Monica Williams comes forward. She says that she's known Sage for a few years, and remembers seeing her that night around 7 p.m. She just happened to run into Sage at the Wild Wings Cafe on Main Street. It was a very brief interaction. But Sage is basically sitting at the bar. Monica bumps into her and Sage says that she's waiting for someone, but she never mentions who. This piece of information finally brings me to the timeline of the night that Sage went missing. At approximately 5.40pm, Sage wakes up Aubrey to tell her that she's going out. Between 5.40 and 6.27pm, Sage receives a few texts from Eric asking where she was. At 6.27pm, Eric McFadden texts Sage saying, I'm leaving, you stood me up. At 6.36pm, Sage's stepsister, Kiera, sees her and speaks to Sage on Main Street while she's on the phone with Eric, and she told Eric she would see him in five minutes. At 7pm, Monica Williams sees Sage at the Wild Wing Cafe. In the episode of Disappeared About Sage, the police state that this last discovery was very important because they discovered that Sage and Eric planned to meet at the Amtrak station. The Amtrak station was right next to the Wild Wing Cafe, so they theorized that Sage might have met up with Eric between 6.40pm and 7pm before going to the cafe to meet someone else. Unfortunately, none of the staff at the cafe remember seeing Sage for sure, so they can't say if she met up with another person, let alone who that person might be. Now, this part got me. I feel like we're just missing something. The police really seem to take this last encounter as a way to kind of dissolve some suspicion around Eric being directly responsible for Sage being missing. I have to wonder if this goes back to the idea of Eric being blackmailed by Sage. If they had an ongoing relationship as both Sage and Eric admit, what are they doing only meeting for 20 minutes? What did they need to do in public, in person, that they couldn't do over the phone? How are the police so sure that Eric didn't stop somewhere on his way and meet up with Sage at the cafe after Monica saw her at 7? Is it possible that they were just meeting up so that Eric could pay Sage off? Again, I just feel like we're missing something. There's some missing step between this timeline discovery and the police dismissing the idea that Sage met with Eric at the cafe. The only other information I could find on this subject of possible blackmail came from a 2014 article from Seville Weekly. They were able to obtain a previously sealed search warrant affidavit from March 2013. This is when the police were trying to gain access to Eric's phone records, bank, and email accounts. Through this document, we discover that a man who Eric McFadden was having a sexual relationship with came to police to tell them that the day after Sage went missing, Eric McFadden contacted him and asked him to delete his contact information out of his phone. This unknown man apparently didn't think much of it, until he saw Sage's father's Facebook post. The last communication he had with Eric was on November 23rd, when Eric told him that he was going to talk to police. We also learn details about the communications between Sage and Eric. Sergeant Mooney states that the messages that they shared were sexual and graphic. He adds, quote, It was about money, too. 
but he says he can't be for sure if the money element was because of blackmail, sex work, or neither. The warrant affidavit states, quote, These facts, when considered together, present probable cause to believe that Deshaud Smith has been abducted, is either being held against his own will, or has met with harm. It is reasonable to believe that Eric McFadden has knowledge of these circumstances, and the previously requested searches will yield evidence of such. However, Mooney tells Seville Weekly, quote, If we were to charge this guy, I don't think we could get a conviction. I don't think it goes beyond a reasonable doubt for an abduction. There's still the possibility that he went off on his own. Same with Eric McFadden. He could have just been running from his lifestyle. Sage's case is pretty quiet for a while. But then, in 2015, the police make a huge statement. They no longer consider Eric McFadden a suspect in Sage's case. They state that this is because of the activity on his phone and computer from the night that Sage went missing. They don't go into detail about the phone. But investigators say that Eric used his computer on and off from 11pm to 3am that night. They add that there was nothing suspicious about this activity. They also say that it didn't seem like he had the resources to abduct Sage either stating that he didn't drive, and lived in an apartment with his girlfriend in a very populated area. Now, again, it just feels like I'm missing something here. If Sage was last seen at 7, and Eric McFadden's computer usage doesn't begin until 11pm, doesn't that give him a full four hours to do something to Sage? Maybe three if we account for him needing to get back home. You guys know I had to do some digging. When I looked at a map, I found that where Sage went missing from wasn't far from the Ravana River. This river merges with the James River that eventually goes all the way out to the ocean. And it's only about two and a half miles away. That's if you go to the official entrance to Riverview Park. But you can get there even faster if you cut through the cemetery at 18th Street. This river is also surrounded by a ton of trees. I did see some reports that the river gets partially frozen at times, but the average low temperature for November in Charlottesville is 38 degrees. So I think that there's a good chance the river wasn't entirely frozen when Sage went missing. If we're going to entertain the idea that while in this same very public area, Eric and Sage had met with a bad group of people that could have done something to Sage like Eric suggested, or really that anyone could have taken Sage from this public area, I don't see why we can't entertain the idea that Eric could also get Sage away from this public area and do something to her. No one can say who Sage met with at that cafe, and no one is coming forward. I just can't understand how police jumped to the conclusion that Eric wasn't the person meeting Sage at the cafe. Or that he couldn't possibly steal her from a public area, but someone else could. But again, maybe we're missing something here that the police just haven't made public yet. In January 2016, there is a reported sighting of Sage about 300 miles from Charlottesville. But in a very strange turn of events, it was actually Sage's childhood friend and old roommate, Shakira Washington, not Sage. So, since the police are there anyway, they take this opportunity to speak with her. This is when Shakira casts suspicion on Aubrey Carson, 
the roommate who was allegedly asleep the night that Sage went missing. Shakira admits that she thought it was weird that Aubrey was using Sage's card after she went missing. And she adds that Aubrey also wore Sage's wigs. Investigators re-interview Sage's stepsister, Kiara Morgan, to try to find out more about Aubrey and Sage's relationship. Kiara says it sounded like Aubrey and Sage were almost in competition with each other. And she adds that Aubrey seemed very jealous of Sage. This is when investigators discover that Aubrey wasn't entirely truthful about one of her statements to police. If you remember, initially Aubrey says that she only met Eric McFadden once, very briefly. But according to an unnamed witness, Aubrey, Sage, and Eric McFadden spent the entire night together at a club on the Saturday before Sage went missing. Ultimately, Aubrey says that she's been honest with police, and she doesn't know what happened to Sage. Also, Shakira would later state that she fully believes Aubrey's version of events now. In November 2016, four years after Sage went missing, her case is reclassified from a missing persons case to a homicide. Unfortunately, there isn't much information about why this decision was made. In March 2017, the police announced that Eric McFadden is once again a person of interest in Sage's case. But they add that he's really just a witness and likely has crucial information about what happened to her. In 2018, the episode of Disappeared featuring Sage's case premieres. And not long after, the police decide to put more resources towards the case. They also send a team of forensic detectives out to her apartment to look for any trace that could still exist. Detectives told NBC29 News that they were basically just retracing their steps. As far as I could find, nothing comes from this search. Unfortunately, in May 2019, Miss Cookie passes away, never knowing what happened to Sage. This actually happens right before a huge development in Sage's case. On June 27, 2019, the Charlottesville Police Department hold a press conference to announce that Eric McFadden's mother has reported him missing. I'm going to play you some clips from this press conference. You will hear this statement about Eric, you will hear from Sage's family, Eric's mother, and you will hear from the police. It's a little long, but I think it gives us a very good idea of where the case is today and how Sage's family actually feels. Good morning, thank you. On June 26, 2019, so yesterday, the Charlottesville Police Department filed a missing persons report for 28-year-old Eric McFadden at the request of his mother. McFadden is a critical person of interest in this unsolved homicide of 19-year-old Deshad Sage Smith, who disappeared on November 20, 2012. A CPT detective briefly made contact with McFadden immediately following Smith's disappearance, but he failed to show up for a scheduled interview with police and reportedly left town. McFadden has not been seen or heard from by CPD or even by members of McFadden's family since that time. McFadden was an acquaintance of Smith, who was last seen in the 500 block of West Main Street on November 20th, 2012, at approximately 6.30 p.m. McFadden and Smith were planning to meet that evening, and what happened after that, after they met, remains a mystery. Smith vanished without a trace, and detectives continue to believe McFadden was the last person to see Smith, and that he, he has information that is vital to this case. 
Initially, Smith's case was classified as a missing persons case, but the department reclassified the case as a homicide in November of 2016. CPD detectives, local, state, and federal law enforcement agencies have spent countless months and hours identifying and scouring through evidence, interviews, and witness statements. Despite these efforts, this case remains unsolved to this day. Um, this is a statement from my mother. My family's life has become an emotional roller coaster. This human being that seems to have been swept under the rug and robbed from us is someone that the moment I heard his heartbeat, I felt a love, and at his birth, I fell in love. My child, Deshaud, had the biggest and most magical smile, something I can only see in pictures now. A hug that was always wholehearted, I can only wish to feel again. He is a son, a brother, an uncle, a grandchild, and a friend. He is someone. This is a loss that is different from other losses because there is no closure. It's like you can't finish grieving. It's a continuous, unfixed feeling that hits me at unpredictable times. All of the thoughts that run through my mind. The why, the how, the who. Which brings me to the fact that someone knows information. At this time, we are asking you, Eric McFadden, to please come into the Charlottesville Police Department to answer any questions that pertains to my son, Deshaud LaQuinn Smith, also known as Sage. This has gone on for far too long. Family and friends are endlessly hurting and need answers. I'm asking if anyone knows any information to also contact Charlottesville Police Department. Please use your social media to spread the information about my son's case to help us find justice for Deshaud. Now I'll read a, a personal statement for myself. I would like to say that our hearts are hurting, our hearts are heavy with pain as we long for answers and justice for our loved one. Deshaud, also known as Sage, was not only my older brother but also a childhood best friend. He had a smile that was so inviting, he always stood up for me, and his beautiful aura always touched others. At 19, he was taken from us without any explanation and hasn't been given any justice even now, six long despairing years later. I was only about 14 when he disappeared from my life, and now at age 20, I reflect on how I'm grow growing older than he ever did and experiencing things he never was given the opportunity to do because his life was cut short. With every milestone I reach, I wish he was able to be there, getting my license, graduation, scholarship ceremonies, or college move-in day but he is not. To Eric McFadden and anyone with information on my brother Deshaun Sage Smith, please contact Charlottesville Police Department. Only the truth will set you free of the burden you carry and set my family free of the pain you have caused them. What is the life of secrets and hiding? The family and community need answers and closure, and Deshaun deserves justice. 
Please share this so the history can be heard by the nation in hopes of somebody coming forth with information. Thank you. Okay, and next we will have a Detective Regime Wright, um, who is the lead detective on the Sage Smith case. Good morning. I'm going to start off by reading a statement by um, Sage's father, Dean Smith. Um, he couldn't be here this morning, and he provided us a written statement. This is a very depressing, sad, and emotional situation for my family. I believe that there wasn't any equality in the investigation due to these facts. One, my child is black. Two, my child is transgender. The mission is now to find my child and bring Sage home. Sage, if you can see or hear this, just know we haven't given up on you, nor have we counted you out. Keep fighting, and by the blessings of the Almighty, we will locate you. We love you, and we miss you. In the beautiful words of the great Lolita Cookie Smith, hope for Sage. This next statement I'm going to read is a statement from Eric McFadden's mother, Denise McFadden. My name is Denise McFadden. I am Eric's mother. I did not know my son was missing until 2014. His father has never called me to tell me what happened and will not return my attempts to contact him. I do not know why. I was under the assumption that his father had filed a missing person report until I met with detectives two weeks ago. I would like Eric to know that if he is out there and needs help, he can call his mom. I am so sorry I was not there, but I am here now. Let's bring an end to this so everyone involved can begin to heal. Please get in contact with me or call the detective so they can contact me. Finally, I would like to make a, a statement concerning the use of Sage's name and the use of the pronouns that we have used throughout this investigation. During the investigation, I have had the opportunity to speak to several of Sage's family members and close friends. After speaking with them, I, understa I understand Sage loved being a woman. Sage's grandmother, Miss Cookie, will be the first one with a lot of pride and a lot of joy to tell you this. I also understand that Sage was comfortable with being a man. Sage was comfortable with being called Sage, and Sage was comfortable with being called Deshot. Sage liked to dress as both a man and a woman. Miss Cookie once told me no matter whether Sage was dressed as a man or a woman, Sage just wanted to look good. Sage wanted to be fly, were her words. Family and friends have expressed that Sage was still exploring gender identity at the time of the disappearance. That being said, CPD will address Sage as Sage and will avoid the use of pronouns. We ask that you have um, patience with us because we are human and we will make mistakes. Because we are still looking for Sage's body and Sage has not, had not begun to make the transition, there will be many times we will have to use the atomically correct definition as a male. We will also ask that you respect Sage's family members and friends as they were each on their individual walks in their journey with Sage. One of the goals of this press release is to ask the worldwide community for their help in locating Eric McFadden so that we may bring closure to Sage and Sage's family. 
I ask that we focus on uniting in a common goal of using a social media platform to push this message out as far as possible so that we can find Eric McFadden. Thank you. Okay, that concludes it. We'll take any questions you all might have. Oh, Tasha, I'm so sorry. For, uh, Tasha. And uh, Latasha Dennis, Sage's mother, would like to say a few words. Um, I just wanted to say that I wanted to make sure that we stay focused on the fact that um, my child is missing and not, again, uh, with the he or she. I felt that Deshaun chose to be called whatever you felt comfortable with. Um, and the fact remains that my child is missing. And that, to me, all is all that matters. Um, I am in a, a situation where I cannot grieve, and I just need closure. The only thing that remains in my mind is who, who did something to him? How did it happen? I also can visualize his, his face at that moment and knowing that there was no one there that loved him. So I feel like that the main focus just needs to stay on him, getting Eric McFadden here so we can ask questions to find out where my son is and what happened to him. And I can't I can't think of anything right now else to say, but I just wanted to stay focused on my son because it's been too long. It's been a real long time. Um, that's all I have to say. Sorry. After Latasha finishes speaking, they open the floor for questions. But we don't learn much, other than Eric McFadden's father appears to be cooperating with police. Unfortunately, this is pretty much where Sage's case is today. Eric McFadden is still missing, and so is Sage. There are no official suspects, and the police maintain that they don't believe Eric is the direct perpetrator in this case. Like I've said several times now, I just feel like we're missing something. If it wasn't feasible for Eric to remove Sage from the very public area of Main Street, then who did? Obviously, they've ruled out the theory that Sage could have simply run away because it's now classified as a homicide. Also, why didn't Aubrey tell the police that she spent an entire night with Sage and Eric just days before Sage went missing? And what about the other people that Sage was talking to? What about Jameel Smith? the man that Sage fought with the night before she went missing. There is virtually nothing out there about him. I can't even tell you if he was interviewed by police, though I have to assume he was. And what about that incident where Sage was assaulted? We know that the man was incarcerated when Sage went missing, but what about his wife? Or maybe someone else that might have been affected by that situation. I feel like all we can do is really hope that the police have the answers to these questions and just haven't released them to the public. But let's jump to our call to action. Of course, please share Sage's case. There is a $10,000 reward being offered through Crime Stoppers. 
and an additional 10000 is being matched by the city of Charlottesville. I'm also going to ask you to help with a call to action straight from Sage's Facebook page. They are trying to make Eric Taekwon McFadden famous enough to be found, which is a big reason why I used his last name so much in this episode. But please head over to the Searching for Sage Smith Facebook page and share one of their many posts about Eric McFadden. Eric McFadden is a black male with black hair and brown eyes. He's 5'10 and weighed about 150 pounds when Sage went missing. As of recording this episode, Eric is 30 years old. Detectives believe he may have been traveling and could also be living in cities like Baltimore, Maryland, Joppa, Maryland, Lake City, South Carolina, Columbia, South Carolina, Atlanta, Georgia, New York City, Rochester, New York, and potentially some other unknown locations on the West Coast. I also think it's worth noting that Eric attended Lincoln University in Oxford, Pennsylvania from 2009 to 2011. So if your old college buddy Eric McFadden shows up at your door, please contact authorities. As a reminder, Sage Smith was 19 years old when she was last seen on November 20th, 2012 in Charlottesville, Virginia. She is a black female with black hair and brown eyes. 5 foot 11 and weighed about 130 pounds. She was last seen wearing a black jacket, dark gray sweatpants, a black scarf, and gray boots. Anyone with information about either Sage Smith or Eric McFadden is urged to call the Crime Stoppers tip line at 434-977-4000. But as always, thank you. I love you. I'll talk to you next time. Voices for Justice is hosted and produced by me, Sarah Turney. For more information about the podcast, to suggest a case, to see resources used for this episode, and to find out more about how to help the cases I discuss, visit voicesforjusticepodcast.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate and review the show in your podcast player. It really does help more people find the podcast and these cases in need of justice.